Welcome back to the Bed Built Radio Show. I'm David Sampson. And I'm Justin Lumtai. And today we've got a whole host of exciting new topics to tell you about. But before we get to that, we have an exciting new venture brought to you by Bed Built Business. Yeah, we have a new up-and-coming program here. We're going to be calling it the Bed Built Buy-In. What we want is to implore you, our young listeners, to show us your ideas, show us your passion, show us what you want out of life. Come talk about your business, contact us, and let us know if you'd like to be on the show. Well, that's great to hear. Now, you can get in touch with us by email or phone number. We'll leave those in the description. But you can always visit us at our website, www.bedbuiltbusiness.com. We look forward to hearing from you and back to the show. Welcome back. We're going to be talking today about two very important things. The first is going to be how to fit your expenditure to your income and still be able to save money. Now, we have learned and we've experienced as millennials that when we originally were working in the industry, you know, we were making minimum wage. You know, we weren't we weren't making a killing, but we were surviving. And now that we're making decent money, we're still finding that it's hard to save. And the reason for it is because we're having trouble doing what uh, my guest describes as fitting to the blanket. Justin, if you want to extrapolate on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's actually something I'm quite passionate about. Um, so fitting to your blanket, what does that mean? Well, we've all been there. We've done the grind. Whether you've been to college or not, we've all worked. you got to start somewhere. We've worked the minimum wage. We've eaten the ramen noodles, and we've lived in the $450 a month rent place. It hasn't been pretty, and it hasn't always been pretty. But now that you've got your graduate job, now that you're moving forward in life, now that you're getting older, new opportunities arise. And the lifestyle that we once led, while affordable, starts to seem, you know, less than ideal. And that's a normal part of life. But I think there's something to be said for saving money in our current um, modern age, um, specifically about fitting to your blanket. And what does that mean? That means that just because you make more doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend more. We earn and we will always be hoping to earn more. But by spending more, you are negatively affecting yourself by if you earn more money you're only making more money if you're actually saving that banking that money Um, and I think it's really hard these days for myself for young people for everybody we live in an age of consumption there is so much choice there is so much option and it's right at the fingertips of your phone uber eats mcdonald's everything apps games info youtube everything and we can do it instantly. And I think because we have so many options, it seems like it's harder to save. And in fact, it is. There is a lot of choice. Um, when my parents were growing up, they you know, ate boring food and cooked at home every day. And to be fair, they own a house. Yes, there's inflation. But to say that they ate at home and cooked food every day, every year, went out maybe a couple of times, right? This was a normal thing. This was how people led their lives. There wasn't uber eats to deliver everything to your door in five minutes Um, that just wasn't a thing and so i feel like with this choice it is not necessarily just harder to save um, but it's kind of engineered that way and i think you have to be conscious about it in strategy Mm -hmm. now what are some of the different ways that people can track how they're spending their money now like for my example i use um part of my bank is a td bank for example and they have an app called td my spend and i know all of the major banks have versions of this app where you can keep track of your spending. But as, as a millennial who, who uses technology, what other different avenues are there that I can use to monitor my spending? Well, first and foremost, no matter what method you use, um, it absolutely, it starts with wanting to. It starts with your intention to save. 
Because if you don't intend to and it's not really at the forefront of your mind, it is absolutely the thing that will not happen. It requires consistency and it requires honestly a lot of focus to be able to save your money. And it requires focused intent on paying attention to where your costs are coming in. Um, so that being said, if you do want to calculate that, um, honestly, the easiest way, and I think first and foremost, is to look at the different areas in your life that you spend. They're going to be a bunch of different ones for people, but a lot of us will overlap in basics. We all spend money on food, we all spend money on entertainment, and we almost all spend money on transportation in some method. Okay, Those areas, there are basics, there are necessities, and then there are above necessities. And the easiest one to talk about for me is food. I spend a lot on food, and I think that food's an important thing. It's, it's a consumable resource, but of course it is the one resource that we need absolutely and indefinitely to keep us alive. And so for me, I find it easy, easy to rationalize buying food. I need it, and I'm hungry, and I will always be hungry in the future, and I will never not need food. Whereas I can kind of put off a latte, or I can put off you know, a new piece of technology. Mm -hmm. um, and so tracking the amount of times, not just the dollar value with which I, I make a transaction, but the amount of times I make a transaction. Often having multiple transactions in a specific area will lead to adding up to way more than any one particular purchase in a given area. So things like food, if you buy a lot of food, try and limit the amount of times you go out to buy the food and think less of the amount you spend when you're actually buying it. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, then um, you go from making $12 an hour, which we used to be the minimum wage, yeah. to, to making about, say, $35. Now, the first thing that you'll want to do is you'll want to get an apartment. You know, you'll want to get a new car. You know, you want to want to not have to take the bus everywhere. So you, you want to get that nice car. You want to get those groceries that before you were living off ramen noodles. Now you want to eat steaks. Now, what would you say to someone who is doing all of these things, wants to experience all of these important parts of being a young adult, but also wants to, be, wants to, at 30, be able to say, you know, I want to get a mortgage, I want to put a down payment on a house. How do you address the, uh, the difference in these issues between getting to enjoy life while also being able to save for the future? Well, I think, wouldn't that be nice to jump from $12 to 35 huh? <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. Um, but no, I think, I think one really good example to kind of set the tone there is... Um, it's simply age, right? When I was 12, if you'd offered me anything to do with stocks and bonds or basically anything other than a Tonka truck, um, I would have looked at you with some crazy eye and, and, and basically said, get out of here. Um, now, you come back to the same boy at 14 and you offer me something a little bit different, maybe a jacket, maybe a cool pair of jeans, maybe something to do with music, and of course I'm going to be more interested. And again, at 18, if you bring me a car or you bring me, um, you know, like a sweet piece of technology, of course I'm going to be more interested. You have to remember that your interests will always change as you get older because you change as you get older. Um, and the same goes for our, our financial interests. And, you know, right now we're grinding, we're working hard. Things like a car and a house and, and, a, and a really cool place, maybe a cool job, maybe a flashy watch, right? They all seem really 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 desirable um, and when you get the money they seem even more desirable because they're now attainable and there's something powerful in that but I think always you know remembering that at your roots there is something to be wanted and just taking the extra time to really vet out if it's good for the future if it's good for you I think that enjoyment is something in life that should always be considered 
there's no sense in making all your money if you have no one to spend it with and, and you know, no interests or, or life or hobbies. So, of course, there's something to be said for your passions and your hobbies. But make sure, just vet, especially the big ones. I want a big car, too. I would love to whip a beautiful GTR. Um, but if I just got my job, there's really no point in that, right? I can, I can settle for something else. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't have to get the GTR now, but honestly, the GTR at 23 or the GTR at 27, you're gonna be balling either way, but that's three years of compound interest, being able to get rid of that loan or cut down your initial investment, make sure you have other assets in place to help you with your monthly payments, gonna make the difference between being able to actually drive and keep the GTR versus keep the GTR and drive it with peace of mind. So it, it seems like we got a little bit uh, a little bit more focused on the GTRs there but I, I think the gist of what you were trying to say is that it's important to to prioritize right when you get down to it it's important to prioritize you're still gonna have that GTR sure you might have to be a little bit more patient but you're still gonna be able to have both the house and the GTR and now you have a garage to put that in you don't have to worry about someone taking that off the street. Now, right before we continue on to our next point, I'd just like to add one more thing. You mentioned, you mentioned that um, saving is, is, a, is an inte- integral part of, of this whole venture, Absolutely. but making sure that you have a constant revenue stream, a passive in, passivized income stream is, is equally important with this, right? Now, how would you tell someone who's gone from making minimum wage to, to $30 an hour or anything in that general area, how would you say the best way to passivize that revenue stream would be? So I think the first step to passivizing any form of, of revenue, whether you still work for hourly and no matter the dollar the dollar amount, um, is being aware of it and, and looking at looking at it less in terms of, you know, how much you're pulling in a week and, and actually look at it for the long term. Look at it as a cash flow, right? This is a very, very well known term, super old, and I know it's kind of cheesy, but cash flow is king. Cash flow helps you organize on a regular and consistent level. It helps you plan for the future. And honestly, what it comes down to is budgeting, which sounds like really old and really boring, but by knowing exactly how much is coming in every month, you know exactly how much can go out every month and where it can go. And you can start to plan for the future, especially, especially important when you start getting multiple sources of income, which if you just got that job, maybe you just moved to 35, I think it's important at this point to save because you do want to make some big purchases. You don't want to make a couple of small ones. You want to make a few important, important big ones. Um, and that's not necessarily, you know, a hundred grand. It may not even be 10 grand for some people, but they are important steps to take in terms of investing and creating sustainable assets. This is what's going to propel you in, to be successful into your late 20s as taking the time to prepare in advance and set up your compound interest. Now, that's great. Now, we're going to move on to our next topic, and it's something that's very important. Now, as entrepreneurs, you and I have had a lot of experience with businesses that have gone great and businesses that have gone not so great. Okay. And um, while, it, while it, it would be nice to succeed all the time, and if you talk to any business owner, you talk to any entrepreneur, they'll say the most important thing that you can do is learn how to fail and then learn how to recover from that failure. And I think um, our next topic is going to be one of great importance, and that's going to be why and how do you get an exit strategy? Now, Justin, what is an exit strategy? So exit strategy is without a doubt, one of the most, if not the most important thing, at least to me. Now it depends on what you value, but if you think of all of your resources in this world, time is your only, only resource that you have a guaranteed limited amount of, that limit does not change, and sometimes it is way too short and you don't know 
You just don't know. So time should be, as you get older, your most important and safely guarded resource. So what is exit strategy? Exit strategy is knowing before you get into a business how you plan on getting out. You don't want to work the mom and pop store that makes a million dollars a year, but also requires its owners to work 70 hours a week. What's the point in having a million dollars or all the money or all the success if you have zero downtime to spend it? I think that's the downfall of, of every hardworking person is getting tunnel visioned and, and seeing the success, seeing, seeing all the, the growth and being caught up in it. When you can pay someone $17 an hour to literally give you your life back, it is preparation. It is taking the time to set that asset up in advance and groom somebody with the with a thought in mind already that you're going to be leaving at some point. You don't want to stay there forever. You want to be biking in the Caymans or doing whatever you want to do. And you definitely can't do that from your place of work. So plan for exit. Now, that's that's a good explanation of, of what it is. Now, let's go about how a, a person would go about doing this. So say, for example, someone is just starting up their business. Say they want to they do some drop shipping, right? Now, it's a very low overhead. It's very easy to run. It's very easy to get out of. But say, for example, they have external partners. You know, they had to they had to finance like a web design, and so they have an external partner. What would you advise that person on steps that they can take to protect themselves from from this business and if it goes south or if they just want to leave? Well, to be fair, if your intention is ultimately to leave, then keeping the asset with you is only going to get you so far. You want to keep it as long as essentially you want to keep profit. But if your plan is to leave from the get-go, once it hits the, you know, a, certain, a certain point and you, you feel like it's profitable enough, you should be aiming to leave ASAP. You're either staying in it for the profit or you've made your decision that you've made enough profit and you want to leave immediately because at that point it would only be more risky to stay. Um, in terms of how to actually do it, um, again, it falls to preparation, and, and it would differ wholly and completely depending on your, your sector. But you know, for drop shipping, like, like you said, um, most of that is organization. A lot of it is scheduling, uh, whether it's with, with wholesalers or with your, uh, with your reseller, um, and scheduling with clients, and a lot of that can be time-consuming. So to be fair, something like looking at a virtual assistant or maybe even for the long term if it's a truly profitable business, uh, investing in something as, as, as expensive as a, a true assistant to actually run the entire business for you uh, might actually not be the, the worst idea um, because at that, at that point, it's, it's mostly all uh, logistics. It's all setting up the meetings, scheduling the scheduling, making sure that your deliveries are coming on time. Uh, they don't even come to your place necessarily, right? But it's making sure that they're going to get shipped on time, that all the right things are being shipped. A lot of it is logistics, and you can get, uh, get that done from somebody sitting in a different country in a, on a laptop. Okay, that's super good to hear. Um, and just going to put a little final point on that too. So say, for example, if um, you had a business that you were no longer able to keep working, whether for personal reasons, whether for, for external reasons, say you have to go back to school, say you have a death in the family, um, something like that. What would you think would be the best way to go about extricating yourself from that position without really compromising your future business asset? Yeah, so again, at that point, you've reached a uh, pretty difficult decision. Um, so it would essentially fall to your circumstance. Um, now, at that point, if you truly had to remove yourself from the business, uh, you would be most likely looking at, depending on the type of business, uh, potentially giving up your equity. Um, unfortunately, that, that that's just the case that in, in business, you need to be active, you need to be 
unless you've prepared in advance and made sure that you have passivized the asset, you will be required. And, and in some cases, you might have to leave. Um, and that's just an unfortunate reality of business. So taking the time, as I said, always to be prepared, always for your exit strategy. Whether you want to leave, you think you might leave, or you're not sure if you're going to leave, you should always be able to should you have to. Perfect. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Join us next week. We're going to be talking about how to be a poor billionaire and how to live life without spending a dime of your own money. This has been David Sampson. And Justin Lumtai. And we're wishing you a good night. Remember to check out the BedBuild Business website in order to enter the BedBuild buy-in program. We're excited to hear from you and we're excited to have you. Have a good night. (music) 